Welcome to the Write Something Worthy podcast, where we teach emerging authors how to ditch the fear, confusion, and overwhelm of writing a bestseller-worthy non-fiction book. And now, your host, Tonya Brockett. Greetings, everyone. Tonya Brockett here. So excited to be with you this week where I want to talk to you about some of the questions that came up from our episode on the design process for your book. That was episode 27. Because I had some questions, I thought I would go ahead and spend some time today just diving in to answer some of those questions and see how it goes. So hopefully they will address some of the questions you may have had and did not send me an email to ask about. But if you do end up having questions after today or you have questions on another episode, please feel free to send those to me at podcast at writesomethingworthy.com. Our email again is podcast at writesomethingworthy.com. Okay, so let me answer some of the questions that came about from the design session that we talked about, the interior book design. Because it's an important topic. You want to look your best as a future best-selling author, right? You want your book to look like an industry standard, awesome specimen out there. So I want to help you to make that true. So let's talk about some of the questions that came through. One was, what should be included in the foreword of the book? And how do I get it written by somebody? And when? Lots of questions there, yes. As with many of the answers we're going to have today, some of it is going to depend. So I'm going to preface all of my answers with that now. It kind of depends on your specific situation sometimes. But so in the foreword, again, it is something that is written by a third person, perhaps somebody who is an authority, somebody who has connection with your readers already. That's a bonus. Someone who maybe a leader in your field, if it's a business book, for example, or if it is a self-help or inspirational book, hopefully it's somebody that stands out to your target audience in that area. So that's the kind of person you might want to pursue. Now, if you look at your circle of influence, your Rolodex, ha, as if they exist anymore, your database full of people and contacts that you know, and they don't in- contain people who are influential or something in your genre or your area of work, then you may need to step out of your box, right? You may need to stretch. You may need to ask somebody who you feel would make a positive impact on your book and who also would find your book intriguing, compelling, uh, in 
alignment with what they teach or share or do in their own lives. You don't want to pick somebody that's in a totally different field that has absolutely nothing to do with, you know, what you're writing about. Okay. You want to make sure that there's alignment there. So if they're not already in your Rolodex, it may mean you need to stretch. And that may mean that you need to go out there and research that best person for your needs and then find out how to reach them and then reach out to them. Go through their gatekeeper if you have to, to ask them if they would be willing to write the foreword for your book. I think you will be amazed at how open people are to doing such things. Many people, especially those who are of a a giving spirit, who, you know, always come through and, and, and do positive work out in the world, most of them are likely to at least entertain the concept of writing a foreword for your book. Now, mind you, they need to know about you. They need to know the quality of work that's going to be going out from you as far as the publication goes. One thing, obviously, that could help is if you're actually being published by a traditional publisher or a New York publisher or something of that nature, they may have a little more confidence that the book is actually likely to reach readers that the forward writer would likely be in front of. But that may not truly be what causes them to make a yes decision. What might make that yes is being able to see your credentials, you telling them who you are, what you're about, providing your author bio for them if they don't have any reason to know you, and then sharing with them your intentions for the book, providing a summary for the book, including a table of contents for the book. And quite frankly, you may even consider, uh, if they desire it, this may not be necessary, but if they desire it, a review copy of your book. So prior to the publication of your book, you could generate a PDF document of your book in its clean state. It may not be in its final state, but it will have been edited at least so that they're not going to see all the obvious errors in your book. You may still label it an uncorrected proof, but you will make sure that it's clean enough for them to see the value of your content and believe that you're going to be producing and writing something worthy. So with your request, you can ask them if they want to see the entire manuscript or whether table of contents and synopsis is sufficient. And you can express your intentions and your goals with the book, how it's going to be published, where it's going to be published, when it's going to come out, so forth and so on, so that they can get a feel for the project and determine whether or not they want to be involved. Some people who write the foreword may want to read the entire thing. It totally depends on who they are, how busy they are, and whether or not they're willing to put their name on something that they haven't read cover to cover.
Now, the length of a forward is typically between 750 to 1200 words. It's usually just two or three pages max in the front matter of your book. That's why it came up, right? The whole forward thing. So in that forward, they'll spend that time providing their credentials, providing their knowledge of you, especially if they know you, they might be able to share a fun story. They could open their forward with a fun story about how um, they connected with you. They can share what struck them about you and your book and your content and your dedication or your intentions or what have you. They may provide a sense of, um, they're trying to edify you. They want to, you know, as I said before, your forward is designed to help people to decide they want to read that book, right? That your words are worthy of their time. Your forward writer will express why you are a writer worth reading. And then they may talk about the sense of scope or the problem or the solutions that the book is designed to solve. And they may have intimate knowledge about that, as I said, because they could be an expert in your particular field. If they are, they may also share their credentials about that, why, the, why it is that they know that this is a worthy book that you have covered well with this topic and that it's going to provide the solution that you're looking to receive. The writer will, the forward writer will express their credibility, show their leadership roles or why it is that um, what they say matters. And they may give examples of what readers may find in the book and how it might transform their lives or improve their lives in some way or another. All of these things can be put together in an, an open, middle, close kind of concept for the forward writer. First part, they do the intro. They talk about, you know, the connection to the author. The second part, they talk about what the book is about, why it's helpful, why you as the author are the one to write it. And then they talk about why they're writing the forward and why the book and you, why and they, why they matter. Uh, and then they're going to sign their name to it. So there's going to be their name, their title. You may even ask them if they want a URL included in their byline of that forward. As a quick aside, you might even ask the forward author if they would like assistance in the writing of that forward. For example, I have been contracted by my clients to ghostwrite the forward for their forward writer. So after they were asked and invited to write the forward and they accepted, then we agreed to interview them so that 
I could draw out the answers to the questions, the content that I would need for the forward, and then I would write that forward for them in their voice. And then the forward writer would review it, sign off on it, and then it would be done. So that helps, especially busy people who don't have the time to write that forward for you. They can still get it written and still contribute. Unfortunately, that was a very long-winded way of saying (laughs) what the forward is and what it should look like and what they should talk about. But I hope that you were able to glean something out of that, and I hope it helps. I'm trying to just, you know, wing asking these, answering these questions and not going uh, into a whole bunch of detail, but I hope that was helpful. So another question that came in is where they, where an author would get the Chicago Manual of Style and should they buy it if they're going to be a publisher publishing more than one book? And, you know, I have to say, I, I probably wouldn't if, I was not in the industry. If I was not an editor and a ghostwriter and a book coach, I probably wouldn't own it just as an author. I would probably, you know, just assume that the professionals that I work with will keep me in line and help me to understand what I need to know. But the reality is it is there for you. Chicago Manual of Style.org probably is where you can find that. And... There is an online subscription, which quite frankly, if you're going to get the Chicago Manual, I would get the online subscription because it at least allows you to do a search on keyword terms instead of having to know that section, you know, 8.509 is what you need to look under for a particular function of punctuation or something like that. It's not the easiest manual to navigate if you're not familiar with it. So my recommendation is if you truly, truly want to get into that level of detail with your words, with the structure of writing and um, contents of publications of various types, then sure, go ahead and go to chicagomanualofstyle.org. But if you are not into that, I would say let your experts have that. And you can always go reference one in a library when they are open again, if they're not already. So you don't have to buy one for yourself, but it's good to uh, be able to reference if in fact you're an industry professional. I don't know if I would go so far to do it as an author. All right, another question I was handed was, how detailed should my table of contents be? Should I have just chapter titles or should I have subheadings too? So that really depends on your content. If your level of detail and work in your content is really intense, uh, so like a business reference book, 
then you might want to have chapter titles and subheadings. So you have heading one, heading two, those are the style formats that you would have in your book. You can select then when you are creating your table of contents with the uh, generator in Microsoft Word, for example, you could choose to have heading, chapter heading, chapter title as your first level, subheading one, and if necessary, subheading two. Typically, I would not see more than subheading one on tables of contents, but it really depends on the level and detail of the work that you are using. If you're just telling a story, a memoir, or a prescriptive memoir, or something of that nature, then just having the chapter titles is likely to be sufficient. And then, of course, in the print book, you'll have the page numbers, and in the electronic book, it will be a hot link to that chapter with no page numbers present on the table of contents. So I hope that answers that question. Uh, now, one question was, what is the best trim size for my book? That is a total, it depends question. <laughs> because there is one, there's different schools of thought on it. And two, it's just depends on the genre that you're writing in. And it might depend on the size of the book that you're looking to produce. So for example, the smaller the book, the smaller the trim size, that's what it is, it's the size of the book. If you were to take a ruler and go to the library or go to your local bookstore and then measure, here's one thing you could do, quite frankly. Given the genre that you're gonna be in, go to that section in the bookstore. Pull out some books that are similar, maybe, in content to what your book will have. And literally take that ruler and measure them. What is the most common trim size you are seeing for those books? Because over time it can change. Three years ago, it might have been more common to have a business book at six by nine almost all the time. Or actually, when I published my first book, six by nine was like, you know, oh, it's a business book, you need to go six by nine. But now, that might be reserved for like general fiction or something. So look at your genre and see what the standards are that are coming out of the traditional print houses, the traditional publishers. So the random houses and the Simon & Schuster's and so forth. See what their sizes are right now. And then also just look in the industry in general. On average, I would say right now, if you're writing nonfiction, general nonfiction, one standard size that I see often and that I have done for a lot of my clients has been five by five times 8.5. So that's one common size. The five by eight is a size that is often used too for some inspirational books um, mind, body, spirit work, things of that nature. 
novels tend to be like five by eight right now, but you know, most of most of my clients are nonfiction writers, so I don't tend to work with a lot a lot of novels at this time. But those are some of the common sizes you're gonna see. Five by five and a half by eight and a half to six by nine. And the nonfiction ranges, those are gonna be your most common ranges of sizes. But like I said, it does depend. Now, if you discover that your word count is low, let's say you only have, you know, 30,000 words and you would normally consider doing a six by nine book, but it makes it a real thin spine. So you couldn't even like put it on a bookshelf and see your name uh, and the title of the book with it standing up on its side then you might want to consider doing a five and a half by eight and a half so that it'll give the book more girth and thus your spine will be wider. Another thing that you need to consider is what are the contents of your book? If you have a more Q&A type thing or study guides and things of that nature within your business related book, you may want that to be a larger format that is more comfortable for your reader to use while they are working with your book. So if they, if there was no way they could take that book, open it up and actually write in it, if it were, you know, a five by eight, for example, then don't make it a five by eight. If your reader would be better off with a book that is a larger format, such as a six by nine, because you're asking questions and you're asking them to reflect on things and you have pages in the book that they can use and they may even need to make copies of certain pages so that they can do some work outside of the book. Those kinds of things you might want a larger format. I had one client, for example, that had a true study guide and that was done in like, you know, eight by 10. It was full size book because of the way his reader intended to use it. So be mindful of those kinds of things. They will have an impact on the trim size of your book. Don't get too worried about it. Just don't try to stick out like a sore thumb. Again, if you're doing a business book, you're not going to want to do a four by six hardcover, right? It's too teeny. It's not going to fit the marketplace. Every other book that's on the shelf is like dwarfing yours. So that's not the way you want to stand out typically. Now, if you're doing a gift book, wow, a four by six hardcover would be awesome for, you know, a gift book or a special book on uh, a special topic. But if you're doing a business book, you're going to want to be a little larger than that. So be mindful of that. So costs can change. The more pages you have to print, the higher the cost of your book would be. And now with all these supply chain shortages we're having these days, that could be even more important. So the less pages, the better, quite frankly, from a supply perspective. But just know that that will change your spine width and your page count, the thickness of the book will change based on what trim size you use for your book and the word count that you are using for your book. Okay, 
one of the other questions uh, is in regards to having like Q&A or study guides. So the question is, what if my book has a Q&A or study guide questions in it? What should I do with the lines and how should I design it? Or what should I watch for in designing it? So one thing to remember when you have lines in your book, spaces for people to write, please, please, please do not use the underscore key to just hold it down going across the line of a page, please. Now, hopefully your designer would wipe that out anyway and then do it correctly using uh, the underscore command and a, a tab all the way to the end margin. But just keep in mind, don't use underscores trying to create lines. You'll have uneven line spaces. If you just do that and then don't actually return, but just keep holding down the underscore key all the way around, that's just a nightmare. So please don't do that. Use the underscore command. Use uh, tab leaders and so forth in order to do those if absolutely necessary. Because you want to make sure that your lines are going to end at the exact same space for every line that appears. And the other thing that you have to be mindful of is consistency. Don't use three lines in you know chapter one for all your questions and then do four in chapter two and then you know four and five in chapter three be consistent. Find a balance that makes sense for your reader to be able to use and complete whatever it is that you're asking of them and the line space that you provide and be consistent in its use throughout your manuscript. Okay, one other thing about the lines is again removing them from your ebooks because your reflowable text um, is not going to look so great with a bunch of lines that end up getting uneven. And quite frankly, you can't write in your digital ebook, right? So uh, typically, if you haven't done augmented reality for your book, you're not going to be able to sit up there and write in the lines that you provide anyway. So there's no point in having them in an ebook. You can have a little bit of extra paragraph space between them so it indicates, hey, you need to answer here but you don't have to actually put the lines themselves. Now, the other thing you could do, the other modification you can make between your print book and the ebook when you have lines involved is to have a lead in. So you might, in your book, you might say, you know, answer the following questions and, you know, write down your answers to these question and then you put the question and you have a bunch of lines. In your ebook, you might say, you might provide a lead in for it that says to answer the question, pull out a journal or a notebook where you can keep all the answers to all the questions throughout this book and then, you know, tell them to complete their answers that way because you're not giving them space to write within the book, right? So you want to change the language to reflect that. You may or may not go through that change between your print book and your ebook. That's totally up to you. But either way, you're not going to have the lines there and they're not going to be able to fill them in. 
just keep that in mind. Now, the other thing is that once you remove all those lines, your ebook is going to be shorter and content than, or at least page count, than your print book would be. And that's okay because it doesn't matter. Your ebook is reflowable anyway, right? So it's going to have a different page count, and that's not really a big issue. Just know, though, that it's going to seem shorter, seem smaller. And when you see the page count on Amazon, for example, that says, you know, the document is this many pages long and so forth and so on, it's going to seem smaller. And you're like, wait a minute, no, I have a 150-page print book. Well, now it's really only 125 pages because all that space was taken away. So don't worry about that, though. All right, one other question about the ebook transformation is, will my ebook still have running heads? In the design session, episode 27, I talked about how you might have running heads that would have the, you know, for example, the book title on the top of your verso page and the chapter title on the top of your recto page. And that chapter changes with every chapter as you flip through the book, right? So chapter one is chapter one for several pages, and then it flips to chapter two, etc. So those running heads often have the page number in them as well. So when you're doing an ebook, typically you will find that you might have one header all the way through the entire book that it's exactly the same. So it might just be the title of your book, perhaps in all caps, at the top of every page in your ebook. So it's not going to have the running heads. It's not going to change per chapter. It's not going to have page numbers on it. So yes, that will change. Your ebooks will not have running heads. It may just have one header with the title of the book itself. And that'll run through all the pages that you have. Now, the last question I'm going to answer today about the interior design of the book is whether or not you should left justify the book text. So... When you're designing the interior of your book, it is going to be full justified. That means it's going to have a straight-looking margin on the left and a straight-looking margin on the right. It's not going to be jagged right margin. It's going to be full justified all the way across. Now, one thing that your designer will need to do is if, in fact, you've got some long words or... There are times when you have like a URL that's on one particular line and it makes it look really wonky with the spaces between words. Because when you full justify, it kind of balances the space between all the words so they're as symmetrical as possible. Sometimes that looks really bad when you have really long words. So one, use smaller words. Nobody needs all those syllables. But two, if you have a URL, your designer may need to learn to break things, adjust the kerning, uh, which is the spaces between words. They may have to condense or expand some of the words so that it looks better and more pleasing to the eye and doesn't have huge gaps in spacing for that. But basically, remember, you're going to have flush margins and no jagged edges on your print book. All right. Wow. Uh, We had some good questions there. Thank you so much 
for your feedback. If you have any other questions for any episode of the Write Something Worthy podcast, please send them to us. No question is too ridiculous. All questions are welcome. Send those to podcast at writesomethingworthy.com. That is podcast at writesomethingworthy.com. All right. It is now time again for our abundant author affirmation. Write it down if it resonates with you. Post it wherever you'll see it and say it throughout your day to keep your heart happy and your subconscious mind aware of it. I can find all the answers I need if I only ask. I can find all the answers I need if I only ask. And with that, we are complete. If you want to ensure that the book that you are about to publish is properly designed, I remind you to request a a special design review by going to tanyaloves.me forward slash design review. And remember that you only have one chance at a good first impression as an author. So make it a good one and make it a good looking one so that you can look like a bestseller. That's going to do it for us today. We appreciate the questions we received at podcast at writesomethingworthy.com. Please know that you can always contact us there and share questions or feedback that will allow us to help others on future episodes. Please remember to download, subscribe, and join our worthy tribe. You've been listening to the Write Something Worthy podcast with Tonya Brockett. If you would like to know more about today's topic, find show notes, relevant links, and more at writesomethingworthy.com. Have a question or something to add to the conversation? We'd love to hear from you email us at podcast at writesomethingworthy.com. Please take a moment to leave an honest review on your favorite podcast platform. These reviews help us to improve our show and help us to spread the word. If you know anyone who would enjoy these episodes, please share it with them. Have a wonderful week and we hope you join us next Wednesday for another fabulous episode.